Good afternoon. Uh, a bit of a stutter there from me because it's five o'clock on a Tuesday and what has for quite over 100 episodes mostly been weekly uh, is now a one-off until I get more inspiration, um, what comes next live podcast. Uh, my guest this fine uh, late winter March in the UK is, I'm coming from South London and my guest is Johnny Moore who I believe is up, up in the Cambridge area. Um, Johnny first came to my attention through a mutual friend in the overlapping circles, a gentleman called Alan Moore, who I worked with on a beautiful leadership project, which I think tangentially led to his latest book on building beautiful businesses, uh, which is one of the do books. Um, never met Johnny at that time, but Johnny has been, was in the background of many conversations of people going, you should meet Johnny. He's amazing. Um, and yeah. broadly speaking, I went, mm, that's interesting. And we have actually now overlapped and not actually yet met in real life, but through various groups and group Zoom calls and such like. And I have participated um, in one or two of Johnny's abundantly offered, as in free, um, conversations. Um, Unhurried Conversations is, is one of those. And I have a copy of Johnny's Unhurried Conversations book. I was going to save for the video audience on my bookshelf. But my office is currently bare because I'm in the process of moving house. It's in the box of books from that bookshelf right now. Anyway, big long introduction. Um, welcome, Johnny. Hi, Tom. Good to see you. Nice to be here. So what? tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're focused on right now. What's on your mind? Your big um, so my, if I have to give myself a label when people ask me what we do, what I do, I say I'm a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I go to people's meetings and try to make them more engaging and satisfying for the participants. Um, and often meaning less death by PowerPoint if possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that shades off into what you might call group coaching. Um, and I've been involved in leadership programs as well. Um, but essentially, I like working with groups and I like to work in a very improvisational way. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, um, standard procedures and models. Um, I'm more interested. I find groups come to life when, um, something goes wrong. Uh, I like it when something goes wrong because that's usually a sign of something interesting and real happening in the room where the standard operating procedure has been disrupted. And then I think something interesting can happen. Hmm. Cool. Um, so you, if we'd had a little dialogue on LinkedIn about facilitation, so we can maybe delve into that. Um, and to begin with, you're, you get brought in to work with groups and you seek to make the meetings more engaging and satisfying for the participants. For the people, the perhaps the principles of that um, organization, the people leading that organization, why do they call Johnny to come in? Um, I think one reason is that, it, you know, generally I'm getting called into meetings where there is something at stake. You know, there's something important that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think one reason for them to have someone from the outside facilitate is so that they don't have to. Because uh-huh. um, it then frees them up to speak more freely and to advocate strongly for what they want. Whereas if they were running the meeting, they'd be worried about looking neutral um, and that could really cramp their style. So one of the benefits of having someone come in from the outside is it liberates them 
to take part as participants. So that's one reason. I, mean, I think another is that they 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 probably sense that um, meetings and organisations tend to default to being a little bit plodding, and and when something is important important is at stake, they think they need something hosted with a bit more skill to encourage. Uh, a bit more energy and spontaneity, uh, you know, and an outsider can often do that more easily than an insider. Mm-hmm. Um, those make a lot of sense. I mean, the, overall, the theme that something's at stake, um, the, and then you, def- it is useful if somebody comes in, because I do some of this work too. Um, and so I, I'm basically agreeing with you. Um, so that they don't have to, they can take a different position in the room. Um, also to not be death by PowerPoint or a plodding meeting and bring the skill, bring the energy, bring the spontaneity. Um, sometimes it's difficult to see ourselves, but what have people told you as to why you, not another facilitator? Because those are quite generic reasons why you would bring a facilitator in. What have people told you that the, why they why they brought you in or maybe they've used somebody else before and they go, you know what, Johnny, let, well, let, let's use you this time. Um, I know where my mind wanders to. It's not a completely direct answer to your question, but I think it gets to the nub of it is the thing that I most like hearing as feedback hmm. is when someone says something like, you know, and this is something that happened, has happened to me a few times. It happened very specifically at quite a challenging gig I was doing in Eastern Europe. Someone sort of called me at the end and they said, it's very interesting watching you. What I like about the way you do this is you seem to know when to vanish into the background and almost disappear mm. and when to in, come into the foreground and assert yourself and you seem to know have a good instinct for when to do one and when to do the other mm. um and i think i think i think of facilitation as much more art than science mm-hmm. uh, and in a sense as a kind of a performance mm. i i think p- people choose me because they sense that I'm going to be alive to what's going on, hmm. you know, and I think that ability to judge quite well when to actually get out of the way and just let them get on with it. And sometimes that means leaving them struggling a bit rather than sort of giving them a band-aid and knowing what also when to stop something that you can tell, you know, immediately is not going to help the meeting along. Uh, you know, I think it's, it, it's that, I suppose you could call it aliveness or presence. I suppose that's what hmm. it is. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's much more of an intuitive felt thing than, a, you know, a, a, a list of competencies. Hmm. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah. It, so I, there's a lot happened in my brain just listening to you. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that's the uh, that's very British, but it's the opposite of being sorry. It's like. Uh, uh, I'm pleased to have spurred thought. <laughs> like I'm very appreciative. Um, yeah, I, 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 when I am called in to do this, it's if I reflect on myself and just throw it back to you, as anything useful comes out of my own reflections. It's normally what I say to people: if I've been brought into the room, I've already been brought in because they've used somebody else and it didn't get the results they wanted the previous year or whatever, and I get introduced in. Um, through somebody, a referral of some kind. But if I get into the room, I'll normally say, I'll normally say to both the principal of the group beforehand in planning it and actually in the room, I'll say, so what's worked? What's worked before? What hasn't worked before? 
What do you want to see different? Right. Um, but I'm normally brought in. It's like Kate, um, Kay had the thing, Kay Scar, our friend on that LinkedIn thread, who also is a really well renowned facilitator as you are, uh, says she's rebranded herself as a diff facilitator. So obviously she likes the difficult conversations. And I, my networking icebreaker is, you know, if it says talk to me about mine is elephants, right? Cause there's always an elephant in the room. Um, I do find that, um, I seek the struggle. Um, if there's anything like a process I have when some, they're looking to make a difficult decision, which is really what I call group coaching, because you're looking to, to have an outcome at the end, not defining what the outcome is, but some clarity, an outcome, a decision from which they can all be aligned around and make, and move forwards and take action. Uh, it's not entertainment. It's, it's not warm and fluffy. It normally means there's something knotty, a knotty problem they have to work out. And this, the, the very simple process I use, which is a really high level overlay, somewhere in the middle of the day, there's going to be a really uncomfortable conversation going on. Um, and I do agree with you. Sometimes the, the, the bit I find, uh, I've often found most personally challenging is because I am somebody who likes to have, provide answers in some spaces in my life. But if you're standing at the room in front of sometimes 50 people and they're stuck and the, the energy in the room is really awkward, that all of their energy is focused on you at the front. But as if to say, please, Mr. Expert, can you bail us out? <laughs> um, and that's one reason why I quite like having a second in the room, somebody else with me, who, again, can play a different role because they're not standing at the front of the room. They may co-facilitate parts of the day. And I normally turn around to them. People are thinking I'm asking them for absolute expert advice on what to say. Normally what I'm saying is they're really uncomfortable, aren't they? And sometimes what I'll say is I have absolutely no idea what to do next. At which point I normally smile and they'll smile and they'll go, well, you'll know when you turn around and look at them. Um, and my favorite example was I told us I broke the ice when they were their issue fundamentally was they weren't taking action on, on a really big issue in the, in the organization. And I had just sat, this is 10 years ago, when my young, my old, my youngest was quite little. And I just sat with him on my lap a few days before and watched a Star Wars movie. I said, there was a little green man who said, do or do not, there is no try. At which point, this broke the ice. And people started making quotes from Kung Fu Panda and Yoda and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And all these executives in Savile Row suits um, started to talk about what the problem was. But I'd never walked into that room thinking I'd be quoting Yoda. Um, but I was just, I love it when it gets really uncomfortable. Because um, it means something... It means they're engaged. It means there's something that is going to happen. Um, but I love what you but I, and so what I love what you said is knowing when to vanish into the background and when to assert yourself in the foreground. I, I've been doing this quite a while, not as long and as often as, as an expert like yourself. Um, it's a uh, but I still I find I'm quite good at it, but I also always find it a fascinating moment when you're in the room and you sometimes have to relax and make the decision as to whether to vanish or whether to, to, to come forwards. So yeah, not it's, sure that it's story got, got it spurred anything. It's, it's, it's practice and it's never completely comfortable because you can never be sure there's always going to be some little voice in one's head saying, Oh, they're expecting you to do something here. They'll be expecting you to do something and then to sit there and not do something. Um, 
you know, and sometimes it's just to, to sit there and just tell myself to relax and I might smile very gently and, and sort of try to convey that I'm not going to do something and wait. Hmm. Um, and I've had a lot of, because of this unhurried conversation thing I've been doing for eight years, I've had a lot of practice at that, just not doing things and waiting. And it's nearly always rewarded with something quite interesting that comes from someone in the group that's better than anything I could have done. So that's the that's the kind of um, the thing about um, I was going to say passive, but that's not exactly the word because I am very present when that's happening. I am paying attention. I've not sort of lit a cigarette and gone to the, gone to you know buy a newspaper. I am very present, and I think there is something. I think there is something about them knowing that you 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 are paying attention, and you are making a deliberate choice not to help them out, that I think they can sort of intuit that they realise, oh, he's sort of leaving it to us, isn't he? Um, and I think this stuff is all so subtle, isn't it? Because it would be so easy to sound like a smart ass when you say, I'm not going to rescue you. You know, I could imagine saying that in a way that would sound like, oh, what are, you know, I'm being cleverer than you, which is not... You know, not, 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 never going to be true with me. I'm never going to be cleverer than them. Um, and then I, you know, and I'm also thinking of the counter examples where I'll break something up. You know, if I think energy is completely sapping, I'll have a break or I'll change the activity. Um, you know, I think I have a, I do make a judgment of when something is a, a pregnant silence where something interesting could happen and yep. just an exhausted silence where we've been doing this for too long. Yep. We need to move. We need to do something different. We need to drop that, you know, pause on that subject and have a look at it from an, an, another angle. And I think, I guess as I'm talking to you, it's all very intuitive, I think, for me. Hmm. Where do you think that intuition comes from? I suppose it's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of gradually have to confess I've been doing this for quite a long time and I'm getting on a bit. So I've been around the block a few times. So I suppose I've now s- sort of become familiar with m- many of the kind of patterns that you see in meetings. So I guess I'm less surprised by things now than I might have been when I was doing this work 10, 20 years ago. I don't get caught. I don't get caught. Hmm. Caught as often doing something really clumsy because I think I've mostly seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that I've been paying more attention to is, um, well, I've had this phrase in my head for a few days now. Uh, it's not about the fish is the phrase. And it's, I'll try and, I'll try and make a short story of it because it could be a very long story, but I was doing some work, um, with someone who was practicing having a difficult conversation. Uh, with someone who was eating the food that he'd prepared, but spat it out, mm. spat the food out and said, I hate this fish. I'd rather die than eat any more of it. And they got into a big conflict over it. And we were playing with how else you might have responded. And we tried lots of things. None of them were working. We tried the, oh, no, it's good for you or oh, never mind. Well, let's go for a walk or but I put a lot of effort into all of none of them worked. And then out of the blue, he tried saying, oh, yeah, I hate fish, too. Um, which was not true because he likes fish, but he decided to say to his brother, oh, I hate fish too. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's completely changed the game into something that Hmm. I think to me felt like it completely bypassed the argument. And it it occurred to me that it wasn't about the fish. 
And now that's my catchphrase I'm using a bit lately because I think so often we think our arguments and conversations are about the thing that we appear to be talking about. Mm-hmm. But actually, all sorts of other signalling is going on. Um, you know, a very crude example of it, you know, from British politics this week is when Match of the Days was reduced to 20 minutes without commentary, mm. when people said they preferred it, they weren't really saying they preferred it. They were saying, um, I support the Tories and I don't like, you know, and I don't like Gary Lineker. And people who said it was rubbish, they weren't saying it was rubbish. They were saying, oh, no, I'm 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 more left leaning and I'm against I'm against stopping the boats. We were just signalling our political loyalties while superficially talking about whether we like this particular television programme or not. Mm. And, and, and it occurs to me, I think we're doing this a huge amount of the time. Um, and, and I think it's, I think I've got better at catching it. And, and so to sort of, I think it, it's quite helpful to have a sense of what people are overtly talking about mm. is not the only thing that's going on. There's other things going on. There's other signaling happening um, that's worth paying a bit of attention to. When I started, there's lots of identities and labels. When I started coaching, um, one of my mentors um, got on a call with me. He was really energized and he was sharing one of his experiences. And he said, I just did some pure, um, pure energy work with a group in group coaching. And he only spoke one language, which is English. And he'd had a colleague bring over a client of his from Germany and they conducted the meeting in German and the colleague um, who spoke both languages was translating and it was slowing the meeting down an awful lot right because the colleague was leading the meeting in German and then then slowing down to translate the key bits for for his position as his mentor who was going to do it and so what they actually said I tell you what stop doing that I don't need the content. I will tap my pen on the desk when there's something they're saying that I want you to translate. All right. And then just find a break and, and tell me that 10 second piece they were talking about. All right. So what, it, what was he doing? He was reading the energy behind the words couldn't listen to the words, the content. He could only listen to what was going on. And the thing that occurs to me in listening to you, um, and also I can't help but reflect on my own experience at the same time, is that that bit about that intuition, some of it is, I'm sure you've, you've, you've had enormous amounts of training and learning and instruction and all this on how to do facilitation with methods and standard operating procedures. And sometimes um, there is this concept of prepare thoroughly so you can throw away the script. I'll have clients sometimes send me a 300 pages worth of strategy plans. I will read it. I'll speed read it. Um, but and, and then I'll also massively prepare how I'm going to run the day or a couple of days. But the more I've been doing this, the more I know that I'll probably throw it all away within 20 minutes um, and then just see what see what see what flows. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm almost incorrigibly at that end of the spectrum. Um, yes, like you, I read the briefing. 
Um, yeah. And I try to understand it. But I also know that, you know, I've been introduced typically, you know, with a few days to go. I'm never going to get up to speed on this to the extent the participants are. They're, no. they're the experts in, in the content of this. I can't. I probably can't help them with the content, even even if I wanted to. I won't be able to get up to speed to the extent that they are. And I kind of know that. I mean, there's two. I suppose the, the caveat I would say is, although I might not do so much planning in terms of written agendas and documents and processes, I do a lot of daydreaming mm. um, or for a stressful one, worrying. <laughs> and I turn ideas over in my head, but I don't tend to write them down as a plan. Mm. And I I know that I know that in the run up to an event, if it if it is a challenging one, I'll be worrying about it up until about twelve or twenty four hours before, and then all that worry sort of vanishes because I know it's showtime and I go into a different gear. Mm. And then when I'm in the room with the people. I, I, I genuinely, I generally feel much more comfortable because I go, ah, right. Mm-hmm. So this is what I'm working with. These people, this sort of feeling of energy, this kind of engagement, this atmosphere in the room. That's, that's what I feel I, I like to work with. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to say, I mean, you know, facilitators do trot out these cliches. I'm a bit conscious of, yeah. you know, Claiming this mysterious capacity to read the room. Well, I think we're all very fallible at that and we might misread it, but, but I think we've got an attunement to it. We're at least attending to it. Mm-hmm. And I think because we're not quite so on the, on the detail, it's easier for us to do that. And, and ultimately they're not bringing us in for the detail. We're not subject matter experts. Um, no. In the, it's funny. I want, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about unhurried conversations. And I'm also recognizing I generally state around 30 minutes on this for the podcast listeners. But I think this still gives us time <laughs> to be unhurried about it. One of the things that you talk, you touched on, um, and again, I'm, if I was nodding a lot on this, uh, on this video, then people, I, I would have been nodding a lot to this and agreeing is this human piece of the, the feeling, which I think is, you know, societal conditioning sometimes, the feeling that we need to reply when we've got an answer. Or as Covey would say, listening with the intent to reply, I suppose, the intent to understand. And it was very interesting to me, you noted for eight years you've been running these unhurried conversations. Um, and you, in a way, it felt like you were referencing that as, in addition to the value it provides to the participants, it's also um, a learning and reminder and reinforcement tool for you for when you then do your your um facilitation gigs um to just keep working that muscle of when do i listen or 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 of listening and being fully present and not actually saying anything so perhaps just uh, you know tell the audience a little bit about the unhurried conversations um perhaps linking to what we're talking about but just what are they all about so it's something i started I think it might be 10 years ago now. Um, I've slightly lost track. But when I first moved to Cambridge, um, I would go to networking events and open networking with people. But I didn't like them because they all seemed rather sales oriented and a bit impatient. Um, and you couldn't you couldn't really talk about the, the challenges you were working on before someone would interrupt with, have you tried this? Have you met so and so? It all felt very well, very hurried. Mm. Um, and so I decided to 
create an antidote to one of these events an hour later. I invited everyone to come to this as well, just so you can experience the difference. And I, I used this process, um, which I'd seen before and used occasionally before about using a talking stick, yep. you know, which is an ancient process. Most of us have either been in it or at least seen it parodied in films in some form. And I had this meeting with a talking stick and we quite liked it. So I started to do it. Well, I did another one, another one, and it became a regular thing. And about the same time, I'd had a conversation with my friend Anthony Quinn about improv theatre, which we were both quite fond of. But we were confessing to each other that improv theatre is tremendous fun when it's good, and it's awful when it's awful. It's excruciating when it's clumsy and the actors trip over each other. And the scenes become sort of absurd and the audience laughs, but it's awkward. And we were talking about what's the difference? And he said he thought the good improv was unhurried. That was the word he used. And I thought, oh, that's a good word. I thought I'm going to I'm going to use that in other things. I think that's a that's a good quality to look for in all sorts of things to do with human beings. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll stick that on the front of these conversations and I'll call them unhurried conversations. They're basically conversations with a talking stick, which means that you, when you speak, you don't get interrupted. So you have very clear signal when you're starting, when you're stopping, and you don't get, you don't, you know, people don't get to the punchline of your joke before you do. They don't correct your views. They don't interrupt you. Uh, and it creates this very different dynamic. And I've been running, oh, I must have done 200 of them in the last 10 years, maybe more. And so they've just given me a lot of practice at not doing too much as the facilitator and often being surprised at the interesting places a group takes things when there isn't even an agenda. Because normally I do them without an agenda other than talk about what's on your mind. And people might talk about quite different things, but you, you've actually, even when they do, you start to notice, well, there are resonances between people. And you can see why there's a connection of a sort between one thing and another. And it's been a really good reminder of how talented people actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, and this happens all the time, it's again and again and again, when people talk about what is on their mind, you realise, oh, so everyone is trying to make sense of a somewhat confusing, complex world. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're stressed out by it and sometimes they're amused by it. But everyone we pass on the street is trying to figure out, oh, how do I get what I want today? How do I, how do I, you know, manage living in you know, the political conflict that we're in, the inflation that we're in, all these challenges and difficulties. And I think it's easy to assume that we're the only one thinking that um, and that everyone else rushing about knows what they're doing. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a relief to go, oh, OK, so we, we're all we have this in common, this desire to make sense of the world. And then to and then there's the pleasure of sharing that inquiry with each other uh-huh. um, without offering lots of advice. <clears throat> Or it, when I came on it, I, I, I haven't ever experienced anything like that. And I'm sitting here with a talking stick on my desk, which is a piece of cactus carcass from the beach in Mexico, because I was introduced to it at the Modern Elder Academy in 2018 when I went across there. Uh, I actually met our mutual friend Kay through the fact that I said, anybody else in London who's, who's to do with this? And they went, oh, there's this lady called Kay, who's also been on the podcast. Um, their discipline on, on it, they called it a circle. Their discipline on it was was really disciplined because you did the same group like eight times, no, 15 times over the course of a week. Is no feedback. You know, mm. No taking on the theme. Just say whatever is on your mind. Um, 
And so sometimes, so I found it really amazing. What, what then did is the group I was in, which is 12 of us, uh, we decided to continue it online on Zoom from 2018 every couple of weeks. And we had an hour and we kept the discipline and we just did it online and we did a foot with a bit some chit chats already got on and then when we started the circle somebody would ring a chime or a gong and then we're in the space and everybody just shares whatever and it was a little bit surprising that it kept going but then people started to inv- you know we're all invited to a wedding in california and eight of us out of 12 of us went and then a couple of the americans moved to switzerland or whatever so it's like there was this need that there was an unspoken feeling of staying connected in different places and having consistency then, of course, the pandemic hit in March. And then to your point about making sense of the of the world, and, you know, humans are meaning makers. It, it was just the simple shared experience that we'd already built up of listening to each other for about a approaching two years. We'd begun to lose some impetus, and sometimes only three people out of 12 would show up on the calls, but we kept the consistency um every two weeks without a break so then of course as soon as the pandemic hit how many people are we finding on the calls would you think (laughs) almost everybody every time um Mm. and we weren't jumping in and saying oh that's what you're finding in san francisco or what we're finding in london is this we're just listening and everybody have different stories and the depth of i found that the depth of understanding and relationship built with that group of people through just listening to what's going on um it's very powerful and of course over a period of years um the stories became deeper and deeper and deeper and then they would start talking about you know a deep it's a very confidential space they start talking about deep family issues or relationship issues that they they probably don't talk to anybody else about other than this group so um yes yeah, so in, in in addition to the the um the power of which i'd never really thought about of, of being on something and not giving your opinion right which can be very useful if part of your role is facilitation um it's also just it, there's meaning to it so my favorite book in the world is man's search for meaning by victor frankl so i'm a big one for meaning um i don't do much small talk so um no, just thank you for just bringing that forward for me. But so you still run these uh, or every so often and people can follow you probably best on LinkedIn, I would think. You have your own website, don't you? But uh, yeah, you can you find me on LinkedIn. I post bits and pieces there. I've got my own website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's um, yeah. So Johnny Moore, though, it's spelled J-O-H-N-N-I-E, uh, Moore with an E. Um, and people can can find you on that. So it's... Um, been really interesting listening to your your thoughts on this and my my big takeaway is knowing when to vanish into the background and when to assert yourself <laughs> in the foreground just love love the, the the language and the the visuals that that st- stimulates for me both because it's both energetically sometimes i mean i'm six foot three i don't I, we've never met i don't know how tall you are but um at my size it's it can be really noticeable if you step forwards or step back yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So sometimes I'll, I'll almost hide behind the flip chart. <laughs> I can, I, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, so what, what closing thoughts might you have for our, uh, our, our audience, Charlie? Oh, closing thoughts. Hmm. Oh, I'm not sure I've got any now. Um, 
No, I'm drawing a blank. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground, actually. Um, I, well, I don't know if I can add much more to it, to be honest. Super. Let's have then. Then that's perfect. We are, are as, as to use a, a cliche from the Modern Elder Academy. We are complete. <laughs> yes. Or was there that line in Hamlet, which I was always very fond of as a as, as an adolescent schoolboy? The rest is silence. Well, one of these days we should do a silent podcast like Steve Chapman's done. Yeah, that would be another good. podcast guest. One hundred episodes of silence he did, didn't he? So, anyway. Okay, many thanks, Johnny. Uh, we shall. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you. Appreciate it. See you soon. Cheerio.